Acts 19, 23 through 41. That's what we're going to be studying, but our reading is verses 23 through 30. So as we do every Sunday, let's read together and let's read aloud. Acts 19, beginning with verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. I heard a little bit of silence on those names there. Something happened (laughs) with those names. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we, we do thank you for your precious word, that we can now come and study, that we might show ourselves approved unto you, workers that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help us in understanding this passage by the blessing and anointing of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one here. May we, Lord God, be attentive to you to your spirit and to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. <clears throat> there are some churches, there are some churches today that are, are using as part of their slogans phrases such as making a difference or let's make a difference together. And while I don't have a problem with that, since we all should be making a difference as Christians in the world around us, our text depicts the difference that true biblical Christianity made in a whole city. In this case, the city of Ephesus. A whole city affected by Christians. And think about it. Think about what we just read. An entire business venture centered on a pagan goddess was now at risk of going under because the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus was making a real difference. I mean, it might seem too much to grasp here. Wondering how Christians could accomplish such such an amazing deed. Until you realize... That they were just simply behaving like Christians. Think about it. They were just simply behaving like Christians. It really doesn't involve some major formula. It doesn't involve umpteen steps. But when we simply conduct ourselves... As sincere believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we make a difference in our world. When we simply conduct ourselves as sincere, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we make a difference in our world. It comes down to discovering the Lord's spiritual business for our lives. And then minding that business rather than the business of the world. So if you want a short little outline for today's study, it's finding the Lord's business and minding the Lord's business. 
You find the Lord's business and then you mind the Lord's business. Now, where did we learn this from? Well, actually, Jesus himself is, is really the one who taught us this. Taught us about finding the Lord's business and minding the Lord's business. And he taught us this when he was 12 years old. When he made a very insightful comment to Joseph and Mary after they had frantically searched for him when Jesus was discovered missing in Jerusalem after the, the feast of Passover. And there they go into the temple and they see that Jesus is sitting among the teachers and the scribes. And he's teaching them and asking them questions. And they come up to Jesus and this is Jesus' response in Luke 2.49. He said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Well, certainly Jesus didn't have to find the Lord's business. He already had it and he knew it. But we do have to find it. But nonetheless, he says, I must be about my father's business. And then later on in a parable, Jesus would say to his disciples in Luke 19, verses 11 through 13. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. So even within the parable itself, he mentions this activity of doing business till I come. I must be about my father's business and we must be doing business until he comes. So if we're going to accomplish spiritual business until the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his church, then we need to discover what that business is in light of our situation and our circumstances. And I say that individually. That we need to discover what that business is in light of our situation and our circumstances. Take Paul, for instance. As we will also review the previous passage that we studied. In Acts chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. A couple of weeks ago we studied this. and It was, entirely, it was dealing with, with purposes and plans. And let me read it again. It says, when these things were accomplished... And I've underlined these, these points because these are words that we, we saw as very critical to our understanding of, of purposes and plans. But when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed, it says, in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he's got purposes, he's got plans. And he wants those purposes and plans to fall under the will of God. And if they don't, of course, he's going to change his purposes and plans, his own. Anyway, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, being a part of these plans that are being made. He sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So, so much was accomplished. When we think of those things that were accomplished, so much was accomplished in two and a half years in Ephesus. First of all, there was that conversion of the twelve disciples of John the Baptist there in Ephesus. They had no idea, no clue about Jesus, and, and so they were converted to, to Christ. And the daily teaching then of God's Word, uh, and then there was the results of all of this teaching of God's Word. There was miraculous healings and exorcisms and deliverances. And then came the burning of the occultic literature. The fact that much was accomplished also reminds us that Paul was quite aware of God's business in and, his, uh, in and for his life. As you see things being accomplished, you realize that he was aware of God's business in his life and for his life. So that may be a goal for us. That there are certain things in our ministries, in our own personal individual ministries, that we need to set goals for to accomplish. Once we know what God's business is in our lives. And what it is that we are called to be doing. Now, We're told that Paul purposed in his spirit, in seeking God's purposes for his next move. For his next move. What did he do? We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about the fact that Paul prayed, and he asked for prayer. Now, for us, we need to kind of change that order. Because too often we ask for prayer, and then we don't pray. So that's why I started with the fact that Paul prayed, and then he asked for prayer. Paul prayed, he asked for prayer, he read the Word of God, he studied the Word of God, and then he trusted in the Lord. 
This was one way that we realized that Paul was really seeking the face of God. He prayed, he asked for others to pray for him. There are many times in his writings that he, he tells people, pray for me that I might be effective in, in, the, in the preaching of the gospel. It's a great thing to see an apostle do, ask for prayer. Guess what we can do? We can ask for prayer. Just be careful. Don't ask for prayer so that others can pray and you don't. You need to pray and then you can ask for people to pray for you. You understand? That's just doubling the the help here to understand. So this is how Paul purposed in the Spirit. He asked for prayer. He read. uh, He uh, he prayed. He asked for prayer. He read the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. And then he trusted the Lord. He not only studied the Word of God, but he trusted what he read and trusted what what he saw before him. He did what we'd have to consider normal for a believer to discover the will of God. It would only be normal that you pray and that you ask for prayer and that you read the Word of God, you study the Word of God, and that you trust in the Lord. These were the normal things. But this is where we sometimes run into a problem. I read a quote the other day. A quote attributed to the great coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, about the job of a coach. But I believe it applies to pastors as well. As I read this more and more, I said, hey, this is for pastors too. But this is the quote. He said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do so that they can be what they've always wanted to be. I said, that's an outstanding quote. That's a great thought. The job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do so that they can do or they can be what they always wanted to be. And I thought, that applies to pastors too. The job of a pastor is to make men do what they don't want to do so that they can be what they've always wanted to be. Athletes. Athletes want to be champions. I don't know of too many athletes nowadays, except for maybe, you know, and and understand this. Let me say this very quickly here. We have kids playing, and and, and with all due respect to your kids who play in, in, in like, t-ball leagues where they don't keep score because they don't want anybody to lose. That's rubbish. Games are played to win. And if you lose, be a good loser. But if you win, be a good, be a good winner too. We have to understand that. I mean, much of a society today is based upon winning and, and whatnot. I mean, I don't want to kind of go into that whole issue. But the fact of the matter is, athletes train to be champions. And they want to be champions. I'm looking at, look at the, the March Madness thing right now on TV where all, most of us are watching. You don't watch throughout the year, but now you'll get to this time. Of, Ooh, the basketball is really great. They're not playing to lose, they're playing to win, do you understand? They're playing to win the game, not to lose the game. But it takes hard work in doing things that they don't want to do to achieve that goal. I remember in high school, we had to run stadium. I went to El Paso High School, they had stadium stairs. You know the stadium there, the amphitheater type thing? I had to run those stadium stairs all the time. I don't want to do this. But you had to do it so that you could at least try to win a game, you know. There were times we did win a game. Not often, but we did, you know. <laughs> but, the, the, but the fact is, you got to train, and you got, you know, you go through things. You, I mean, you're putting your body. It's like Paul said, you buffet your body, and I mean, it's, it's, that buffeting is what's building it up, strengthening it, getting it ready for the event that you're going to be participating in. It takes hard work in doing things that they don't want to do to achieve that goal of, of, of winning a championship. Christians want to make a difference in the in the lives of others. Believers in this room today, right here, right now, we as Christians want to make a difference in the lives of others, but it takes doing things that our flesh fights to do in order to accomplish that goal. And our flesh fights it. Our flesh fights prayer. It fights reading and studying and submission and humility and selfless living. It always fights that. Paul talked about the spirit and the flesh fighting against each other. So we have to overcome that. We have to look at it like those dumb stadiums, you know. Okay, we've got to do it. We're going to, you know, you've got to do it. You just have to do it. But we have something better. We have the Spirit of God to encourage us and to help us and to show us the way to do this thing. But we've got to take that step to do these things. And consider what we need to do. Pray. Read. Study. Submission. Humility. And selfless living. 
Remember that you may be the only Jesus that people around you will ever see. You want to make a difference in this world? Remember this. You may be the only Jesus that people around you will see. I used to love the, this statement, that, this, this little moniker that was given to, to Christians during the Jesus movement back in the, early, uh, the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, it was a wonderful time. Man. I, t- I can tell you this right now. It was a wonderful time to be a Christian. But there was, there was a certain name given to, 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 to Christians. Most of them were hippies. They were called the Jesus people. They were called the Jesus people because they loved Jesus so much. And they did everything uh, that, they, that they did, uh, carrying their Bible, big, huge Bible. Sometimes they carried Bibles, they had to use two hands, you know, to walk around with. Because they, they, they wanted to know, they want people to know, they, I, I love Jesus and I serve Jesus. And, and, and uh, there, was a, there was a humility about them and there was a, a gentleness and a peace about them. Yet there was, there was some authority when they began to speak about the things of God. And folks, we may be the only Jesus that people around us get to see. But we come with that message that people need to hear. So your next move may not involve going anywhere. It might not be that you're going to go anywhere, yet you are where you are by God's design. Wherever you are, that's where God has you. Wherever it is that you are, that's where God has you. Whether it's at home or at school or in the workplace, even while retired, that's where God has you. You see, that's finding the Lord's business. But now let's look at minding the Lord's business because it's not just finding it, now it's minding it. Let's go back to verse 23 for a moment. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. What is the way? Well, uh, we've talked about this in, in, in previous studies, but the, the way was, was a term given to three things. It was given, first of all, to, it was given to the church. They were the way. It was also given to the gospel. And it was given to the person of Jesus Christ. He was the way. Why? Because he said he was. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The church was the way because they followed the way of Christ. The gospel was the way because it was the light that came into the hearts of people to begin their life in following Christ. But about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. And so you can just lump them all in. That's uh, Every one of those had an effect. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. You could almost think that Demetrius or Demetrius was a, a, a union boss. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and he said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many people, or turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, the very fact that it was a, <laughs> a trade was a disrepute enough, <laughs> but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. That, that was a, a kind of a hype-filled speech, okay? Nearly political in nature. All Asia and the world worship? Well, maybe their little world. There were many other nations and many other tribes that worshipped other gods. But there's a reason why they thought this about Diana. We'll get to it in just a moment. But think about what's happening here. There's a silversmith who gathers together all the silversmiths who make shrines of Diana and tells them, our our business is going under because of Paul. Think about this for a moment. It's a question I'm going to ask you. Has there ever been that thought in your mind? Has there ever been that thought in your mind of putting certain businesses that have in many ways brought problems and divisions and great sorrows to many a home and family? Has that thought been in your mind to put those certain businesses out of business? Have you ever thought about that? Let me me bring to mind some things so it might 
stir a little thought in this. Businesses like adult bookstores. Businesses like nightclubs and bars that cater to sophisticated gentlemen. Which I could spend about 30 minutes talking about that little phrase itself. Sophisticated gentlemen. Drug. And and now we're getting into kind of... These individualized businesses, drug trafficking, we'd like to put that out of business. I'm sure they do, especially in what is. Drug traffickers, slave traffickers, did you know that that's going on in our, in our community as well? Human trafficking is going on. We want to put that out of business, as well as prostitution rings. I mean, all of these things could be added to the list of establishments that many of us believe have caused enough grief to families in our communities. But now there, there in Ephesus, this little group that was thinking it was going under starts to raise up its head to say, hey, wait a minute. We know what the cause is. Paul. See, the problem for these guys was that in Ephesus, it was all about the money. It was all about the money. Now, Ephesus, and here's, here's where all this importance of Diana comes in. Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess Diana, also known as Artemis. Her temple in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was some 418 feet long. Think about how big this place is. It it was 418 feet long, 239 feet wide, and 60 feet tall, with a roof that was suspended by 127 marble pillars, 60 feet high. I mean, that was a massive structure. In fact, even today, its ruins are impressive to people. It was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. So it was of great importance to them, this worship of Diana. Now Diana or Artemis, one name is, is, is Roman, the other Greek, was also a fertility goddess. And by the way, let me not fail to mention that Diana was also a moon goddess. If you see pictures of Diana, if you go on the internet and type in, you know, in a search engine, Artemis or Diana... When you begin to get images, you see a woman with, if she has a headband on at all, it always has a crescent moon on it. Keep that thought in mind, if you will. It has a crescent moon on it. And a lot of the pictures that are given of, of this, this person, Diana, is uh, there's always a moon in the background. So she was considered a moon goddess. But she was also a fertility goddess whose worship involved sex and her priestesses were nothing more than prostitutes. John Corson points out uh, uh, some, some interesting tidbits of, of, uh, of Diana. He writes, The idol of the goddess Diana was unbelievably ugly. Fashioned from a chunk of black rock believed to have been sent from Jupiter, and many, uh, let me interject, uh, many believed that it was a meteorite of some sort, or meteor that, that had fallen to the earth. Fashioned from a chunk of black rock believed to have been sent from Jupiter, or Zeus, uh, Because again, those are the two names. Uh, She was a grotesque-looking, multi-breasted female. Yet people came from all over Asia to worship at the shrine of Diana, the goddess of fertility. Consequently, enterprising businessmen like Demetrius decided to go into the souvenir business, making miniature shrines which they sold for big bucks until Paul came to town. Well, let me ask you this question. What was Paul doing to affect so strongly the business of the silversmiths? What was Paul doing? Remember that Paul was teaching the Bible every day in a rented place, in a rented lecture hall, as it were. Every day he preached and taught the Word of God. And in the course of his systematic and thorough teaching of the scriptures, he was pointing out to those who were coming from Ephesus, to those who were coming from that city, to learn about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as well, to learn about Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. He was pointing out to them the biblical principle that, as Demetrius quoted, 
They are not gods which are made with hands. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul would open up the scrolls of the Scriptures in Psalm 115, verses 4-8, through 8, and then he would read to them, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. That's what God's Word says about idols. You want to see more? Pulls out the scroll of Isaiah and opens it to where Isaiah chapter 2 verse 8 would read, Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. If we were to read all the scriptures around it, you realize this wasn't a positive message that, uh, that Isaiah was giving. Later on, he'd probably take out another scroll that contained Isaiah 31, verses 6 and 7. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day, every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. And notice what he calls them. Sin, which your own, which your own hands have made for yourselves. It is just sin. Now I entitled this message, Rumor, Wrath, and Riot. The rumor is in the statement that Demetrius made about Paul. Because the rumor is that Paul single-handedly destroyed the silversmith's business, but that's only half-truth. Yes, Paul was there in Ephesus. Yes, Paul was teaching the Word of God in this rented lecture hall. Yes, people were listening to him. But what we don't hear in this rumor, is, uh, because then it would be a, a full truth then, is that the people who, to whom Paul preached began to believe because they were convicted. They were convicted and convinced of the truth. In other words, no suggestion is made by Demetrius that the people who were no longer buying their idols were convinced and convinced and convicted of the truth and the people's lives were gloriously changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not mentioned here. This is why I call it rumor. Because you see, rumor always involves a half-truth. If you look at the liar of, uh, from, 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 from the very beginning of time, that's Satan, of course, he always deals with a little bit of truth and a whole lot of lie. There always has to be a little bit of truth to snatch you, and then the rest of the time, it's, it's just, a, you know, to just pour on the lies, you see. But I bring this up because we need to be careful as believers in Jesus Christ. When, when things are going around as rumor. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? You know, a Christian and a mature Christian is always going to be one who says, you know what, I, I don't like what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe we need to stop this right here and right now. A mature believer who has discernment, who has the spirit to discern the things that are being said, should say, this has got to stop. So I mention that right now as, as far as just... just as a side note, as a sidelight, as a, as a side teaching here, that rumor can get us all into a lot of trouble because we're dealing not with truth but with half-truth and, and with, with full lies. Let's be careful. Because rumor does lead to other things. In this case, it led to wrath. Notice verse 28. Because the wrath was expressed by the people. Now when they heard this, when they heard Demetrius talk about Paul being the one who had caused all the problems, they were full of wrath and they cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! That's the extent of their apologetic. That's the extent of their defense of their faith. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. What you have to take notice of here is that it wasn't the Christians taking action against the silversmiths. It was the silversmiths taking action against the Christians. Take note of that. The world was changing around these silversmiths simply because of the witness of the believers in Jesus Christ was transforming other people. And this irked the pagans because now those other people were no longer buying their silver shrines. And business was going down. 
It wasn't the Christians taking action. This is a very important note. Please understand. The silversmiths took action against the Christians. You ever wonder why some people you know, talk about Christians in a bad way? All those Christians do this and all those Christians do that. And you're sitting there as a Christian saying, what do we do? I heard a story of a pastor when they went out to play golf with with some people that invited him, and, and one of the first one of the people that had been invited also to play with this group of people was not a believer. And uh, when he found out that he was playing with a pastor, oh, you know, he, he would take he would take all kinds of shots, and he would miss, and he was he's nervous, you know, but, but he wanted to say bad things, and he couldn't because, you know, this pastor was around. So the pastor didn't know anything about it. He didn't know what was, you know. And the guy just, you know, he got so upset, he walked off the course. And later on, somebody asked him, well, what happened? Oh, that, that pastor. He said, no, he didn't even know who you were. You got hurt because all he was doing was playing golf. Why do people get that way when they're around Christians? Have you ever thought about that? Could it be that just our very lives can make a difference in the world? Hmm. So notice verses 29 and 30. So the whole city was filled with confusion. <laughs> and they rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. They seized them. That, that really kind of says that they, you know, they shackled them kind of like they were under arrest. And when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. It means this is the point where the riot now begins. And there's, they're, they're in the amphitheater in Ephesus that held upwards of 25,000 people. Paul was ready to get right in the middle of this crowd. Certainly to help release his Macedonian friends. And then he said, well, well, I'm at it. I might as well preach the gospel. Look at all these people. That was the way Paul was. I mean, he saw the people, he said, man, this is a good time to do this. But the Lord used his disciples to spare Paul's life by preventing him from entering. Why? Because everybody had heard what name? Paul. When Demetrius was spewing his tirade. You know, verse 31 gives us an interesting note in the life of the Apostle Paul. It says, Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. First of all, there's no indication that these officials were Christians. Think about that. I think that Luke would have, would have made some note uh, that these officials were Christians of some sort, uh, you know, so, some way. But he doesn't. He just says the officials of Asia who were, Asia who were Paul's friends. But they were friends of the Apostle. And while we are out and about in the Lord's business, because that's what we're talking about today, while we are out and about in the Lord's business, we can be about what some have called friendship evangelism. We can be about friendship evangelism. Having unbelieving friends is okay, as long as we continue trying to introduce them to our best friend. That's friendship evangelism. I've often been asked a question about, you know, well, you know, what, what, what happens when, you know, should a Christian just avoid all unbelievers? How are they going to hear? I mean, then that puts us, that puts aside Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without a preacher? A lot of times the people that we need to minister to the most are the ones that are even in our own home. We're not going to cut them off from our life. They may try to cut us off, but they, we, we're not to cut them off. But secondly, consider that these friends of Paul were as concerned about his well-being as his disciples. I mean, what does that say of Paul's witness and example of Christ's love? That he could have friends that would be there to support him and even protect him. while they weren't even Christians. You know, there are times that we, when we present the love of Christ... To unbelievers, and they can be friends. They might be people that we work with, or people that we that we have some sense of, of uh, acquaintance with. 
that they respect us because we stand firm upon what we believe. We don't become like them. We don't become like them. We don't do what they do just to say, you know, well, be, you know, that's a misinterpretation of what Paul said when he said we become all things to all men. We stand for what we believe in. People will respect that. And in some cases, they may even come to our, our defense when they don't even believe what we believe. Simply because you have lived your life like a Christian. Paul said to the Ephesian church, by the way, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, he said, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And by the way, an aroma can also be an influence, folks. Tell you why, you walk by a a bakery where they're just cooking, you know, or making their bread, man, that's an influence. I've had my fill of bakeries. Sweet smelling aroma. It's an influence, folks. That's what we are to be. So there, they're getting back to the sea now. Paul is wanting to go in. They're preventing him from doing this. And as we enter into this last section of the chapter, we find both humor and then something not so humorous. The humor is found in verse 32. Let's read that. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. But then the sad part is verses 33 and following. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews, putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. He was trying to get their attention. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours. Two hours, they said, great is Diana of the Ephesians. You know, it's amazing how easily some people are swept up and swept along by peer pressure. Luke humorously points out that most of the people in the mob assembly didn't even know why they were there and why they were meeting. Can you imagine people saw a crowd, hey, let's go down there to the amphitheater. What's going on? I don't know. Hey! People do that. I don't know why. I guess they just like crowds. They like to be in the in thing. Well, what's going on? I don't know, but this is fun. Let's do the wave. You know. I don't know where it comes from. What isn't so humorous, though, is that the plague of anti-Semitism reared its ugly head again as the Jews appointed Alexander to issue the disclaimer that the reduction in the idol business was not their fault. And that Christians were not of them or with them. This is why the Jews put Alexander up there. Hey, go tell him, it's not us. Why do they have to do that? Because most of the time, if something bad happened to a community, they always look to the Jews first. That's anti-Semitism. Without questioning, without investigating, it always seemed to fall on them. And folks, that wasn't centered in a time... In, in the first century only. It's happened in the previous centuries. Very near to where we are today, time-wise. So when the people found out that Alexander was a Jew, they cried out frantically and in frenzy, Great is Diana the Ephesians! Great is Diana the Ephesians! Then everybody got into it. Great is Diana the Ephesians! And can you imagine... Over 25,000 people squeezed into the amphitheater. Thousands more on the outside hearing this going up. And they thought, maybe it's just a crusade for Diana. And there were some in the back saying, is it Diana Ross? (laughs) See, they were there confused. They didn't know why they were there. Stop. (laughs) I have to throw that in there, you know. I used to like Diana Ross in the Supremes, okay? In the name. But there are just two hours. Can you? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Over and over and over and over and over again. Sounds like something we hear nowadays for hours as well. Allah Akbar. Or Allahul Akbar. Over and over and over. I've seen it on videos. I'm sure you have too. 
Not just within within Muslim mosques, but even outside. With imams holding up a big sword and going into a frenzy. Allah is great. Allah is great. But if they say Allah Akbar, they are saying Allah is the greatest or He is greater. Allah is greater. He is greater. He is greater. He is greater. Over and over and over. Interesting that Islam's mark or sign is the crescent moon. Diana had the crescent moon on her crown. Something to think about. It's for another study. We don't have the time today. But something else kind of gets revealed here. And it's the powerless, powerlessness of religion. And, and I don't say this, you know, just to pick on, on the Jewish religion, because that's, that's not the point, because it happens with Christians too. When we make Christianity a religion rather than a relationship. When we make Christianity a religion rather than a relationship, this, this applies to Christianity too. Because you see, Judaism was able to peacefully coexist with pagan idolatry. That was not what they were supposed to be. When you go back to the commandments and to the law, they were, to, they were supposed to live separately unto God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now we find them peacefully coexisting, somewhat peacefully coexisting with pagan idolatry. And the lies and the lifestyles of the the Jews had zero effect on the silversmiths. Because they weren't being an influence, anyone there. They weren't seeking to reach the Gentiles for God at all. Did you know that they were called to do that? But then again, so are Christians called to reach the world, Jew and Gentile, for Jesus Christ. But when we put... Walls around ourselves. And that just makes what should be a relationship a religion, and that religion is powerless. We can't be Christians in this society, in this time, in the culture today, and just want to be left alone. I want to be alone. Who's that, Greta Garbo? Is that what? I want to be alone. We're not not to be that way as Christians. We're not of the world. We're, We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. And we have a business to attend to. We are to find the the spiritual business that God gives us, and we are to mind that business. With that in mind, we have to finish. By now, things had gotten out of hand. So the mayor of Ephesus, the city clerk is really the mayor, and it says, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, verse 35, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Jupiter as well. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who have neither, or who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another, but if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. Ah, here's the reason for the speech. We are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, uh, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So simply the mayor of Ephesus finally got the attention of this unruly crowd to issue a simple message, and that is that this unlawful assembly could bring upon us the wrath of Rome. That's what they were in danger of. Rome did not like riots. Rome did not like all of these kind of unlawful assemblies. They would eventually come and put it down. 
So he's trying to speak some sense into these people. If the silversmiths had a complaint, he was saying to them, they should pursue legalities with the ECLU. The Ephesian Civil Liberties Union. Proconsuls were the attorneys of the time. But what is most impacting in the mayor's message is what he says of the Christians in verse 37. Notice verse 37. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. In other words, the Christians had not mounted a campaign against the worship of Diana. Now get this. This is very important. The Christians hadn't mounted a campaign against the worship of Diana. They hadn't organized any boycotts. They hadn't organized any protests. And they had certainly done nothing against Roman law. What had the Christians done? What had they done? Simply, they had minded the Lord's business with their own lives. At some point they had come clean of their carnal diversions and entertaining distractions and the power of the Holy Spirit was now released in and through them. By the way, by the way, protests, boycotts, legal actions, they do all have their place. They do all have their place in our day and time as well. But before we do any of those things, before we do any of those things, we should make sure that we are minding the Lord's business with our very own lives so that we might truly and surely make a difference in our world. No protests. No campaign against Diana. No boycotts. They had not broken any laws. They had just lived their lives as Christians. And they had been encouraged by the reading of the word of Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not the word of God to, to them. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. They were strengthened by the word in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. I'll be with you, he says. In the Welsh Revival of 1901, some of you have probably heard of the Welsh Revival of 1901, there in the little country of Wales. And under the anointed ministry of a preacher named Robert Murray McShane, so great was the revival. Listen to this. So great was the revival that every tavern and every pub in Wales went broke. Every tavern and every pub in Wales went broke. Now, here's some questions to ask. How many anti-alcohol sermons did McShane deliver? Not one. Zero. How many tirades against taverns? Zero. People simply lost all interest in alcohol when they got touched by the Lord and they, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They simply conducted their lives as sincere believers in Jesus Christ. By the way, the same thing happened in Ephesus. When people got saved, the idle business dried up. You see, you can make a difference with your life. You can make a difference as a believer in Jesus Christ with your life. And as I said before, there's a place 
for campaigns and protests and boycotts. And there are times when that's important. But before we do anything, let it be that we are minding the Lord's business with our very lives. You see, now verse 20 of Acts 19 becomes even more powerful. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. But the word of God must grow mightily and prevail in us every day of our lives. We are not Christians for 24 hours a week. We are Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of every year. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that we may be the only Jesus that people around us will ever see. That will take God's word and God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's truth to the very heart of the person that needs it. And may I say to you that of every Christian that's in this room today, there was a time when you were not a Christian. There was a time when you may have known about Jesus, but you didn't know Jesus personally, and someone gave you the Word of God. Someone showed the love of Christ to you. Someone, with the courage that comes through the Holy Spirit, shared with you the truth about your life and your need for a Savior. I can still remember the one person who came and shared with me the love of Jesus. And that was 38 years ago. And I hope and pray that you'll never forget that person who by by their very simple life in living the pure gospel of Jesus in their lives could stir the heart of someone who could truly say, once I was lost, but now I'm found. It was blind, but now I see. Make that difference in this world with your life. Let's pray.